follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. This is Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing? Uh, doing good, Shad. I'm glad to see you got over your case of the plague. Yeah, Lord, I have no idea what that was. It didn't test positive for anything. <clears throat> I got, it was got a little the, residual uh, shoot interview cough from it, but I'm it was doing okay. the, uh... It was the Canadian goose plague, wasn't it? Yes. Brad, I think that's where you <laughs> well, figured I, that one out. I had postulated after the fact that he potentially wasn't bit by the fleas, but he was bitten by a Canadian goose, and now Shad is a were goose. <laughs> were goose. That's like one of the worst were things to be. It's like just being a goose. I mean, you could be a were sloth. That would probably be worse. Oh, dude, you remember the the giant sloths and heroes of Might and Magic three? two three one of the two yes. that came out of one structure those giant things those were those were great and they were they were still giant slots anyway <laughs> we're hitting the tangents early thank you everybody for joining us we're glad you could be with us for this episode <clears throat> we're gonna get our shout outs taken care of the first one's collar and elbow the wrestling brand use the promo code four corners podcast that's a number four capital c and corners capital p and podcast no spaces save 10 percent off of your order and our other shout out means that we go to matt that'd be orlando cologne uh, orlando cologne brings the ratings i'm hoping that in 2021 we see him pop up on uh well, not the WWE. Hopefully, maybe AEW. Or I'm thinking I would actually love to see him either in MLW or in NWA, which NWA, guys, has come back. I haven't had a chance yes. to watch it, but in the NWA is back on YouTube. Uh, free shows. I think it's called... It might be called in Shockwave. Yeah. There you go. And it's, they've um, done at least a couple shows, I think. It's um, I think it's just the... United Wrestling Network stuff, like repackaged. Mm -hmm. That would make sense. Um, but there have been a few guys uh, from NWA who have signed with AEW, or you know, AEW is using them using them a lot. So uh, definitely, NWA has uh, has some room for people. So I'd love to see Orlando yeah. come in there. I think he'd actually be a great player. So speaking of um, before we get into tonight's show, speaking of clusterfucks, which the show tends to be a lot. Did um <laughs> did any of you get to watch much of the Chess Man versus Pagano um Triple Mania main event? I saw uh, clips from it here and there. I didn't watch the whole match. Uh, you need to see the whole was... match. The the clips don't do don't do the whole thing justice. Well, I mean they do the bad spots justice, <laughs> but I saw um some gifs of some of the big spots. I'm going to be real honest with you. Um, 
just watching those gifts, I was pretty mad at. I I was so mad and I couldn't figure out who to be mad at about it. But I was uh, I was both really mad. Some of those yeah. really mad. Some of those spots happened. You know what? It, they you know took, what's up, was a, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say what's upsetting about that is I mean I think Pagano is a bit of a dumbass. Um, and he does stuff like that. But Chessman has been doing this for like 20 years and he should know better. Like, especially on those table spots, like he should have known better. Who was it that had that, that chair spot to the outside? That was was Chessman. Yeah. Okay. If if he's been doing it and he should know, but then I I, I can't have any sympathy. He should know better. That was stupid. I'm mad about it again. Yeah, for those who are not aware or, or are in the dark about what we're talking about, it's uh, it's the Lucha Libre promotion AAA. They had their big show of the year, Triple Mania, uh, this past weekend, and it was as far as like, it was still it was completely free, uh, streaming live actually on YouTube, and obviously now it's been a few days later. I think it's still available for free. Yeah, I think they um, do. I think they put most <laughs> of their shows up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So. Um. The this a lot of people have been talking about this, but the uh, the Kenny Omega Laredo Kid match apparently I haven't seen it yet, but apparently it's one of the it's in it's in competition for best match of the year allegedly. So, I don't think it was the best match of the year, but I think um, I think for people that are critical of Kenny Omega and try mm-hmm. to discredit his Japanese work any way they can, can't discredit this one because mm-hmm. it's him elevating someone to his level making them a star and elevating their work to his level i wouldn't call it a five-star match i think it's getting a little overrated in that category but it's a very Mm -hmm. good match and it's because kenny was doing the lifting yeah i have i haven't seen it yet i do actually want to go back and watch it because i've heard it's quite good uh and that what you just said uh brad is exactly what i had heard about it that uh regardless of like a star rating because that's it's almost immaterial i have heard that if Kenny is trying to be right now this this new version of Kenny, if he's trying to be like 1980s Ric Flair or uh, Nick Bockwinkle, then he was very much playing that role of like the veteran who was carrying uh, a lesser opponent. Even though Laredo Kid's pretty good, like there he was basically carrying a lesser opponent to a great match. So I definitely want to watch that just just to see like how he's he's elevating Laredo Kid. Laredo Kid's good, and he's improved a lot this year, but he's still, like, rough around the edges. He just needs, like, he's in that phase where he has a lot of talent, but he just hasn't had the um, the experience to really to smooth it all out. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, the, the but going back to the main event, the funny part is the ending, the ending spot, I don't know if you saw a gif of that. But like that looked like the safest thing they did because you could at least see the foam they jumped into. The uh, the Pagano chessman. Yeah. Yeah, there was just insane uh, bumps that happened in that match. Uh, the chair one was the most ridiculous, and for those who are not aware of it, it's chessman basically does a dive to the outside but like goes face first into like a bunch of chairs and it is it's a legitimately scary spot like the chairs are set up like they're upright too yeah he's not diving into like a pile of chairs which would be bad enough but in theory like you can put your hands up or you can you can fall a certain way 
No, it's like the chairs are sitting up at metal chairs as they should be. Like you're going to sit in them. And he goes like head first into that. And it's just. He kind of scorpions on the landing. Like yeah. his face hits the chair and then the rest of his body comes kind of like up and over before it flops down. Yeah. And I am like just watching that. I am legitimately mad that the guy did that spot because it's like obviously the other guy wasn't going to be there. You knew that ahead of time. What made you think this was a good idea to do? There, there's, there's nothing redeeming about that. I don't know. I kind of think the the one where they both went off like the top rope through the table on the floor looked a lot scarier than that because that looked like they kind of did not well, have I control. Have, I have not seen that. Um, I haven't seen that gif. I say you gifts, sure and then the one the one where Chessman goes through the table like shortly after that's really bad too. I I'll see if I can dig those gifts back up for you. But you, they're, you may they're, have sent them, and I, I yeah. just hadn't watched them. And then they guitar shot the um the co- the color guy for no reason, and he does a blade job. And now, oh yeah, now, remember Hugo Savinovich. Yeah, and they did this. They did this, and I mean, they were bleeding buckets. They did this on a show with a very much advertised Disney collaboration. Mm. <laughs> That's right, because there was a match earlier in the show that had several luchadors. Uh, dressed as marvel characters brian cage was thanos i believe was he well, i know leo rush was uh the spider-man character yeah, i'm pretty sure brian cage was thanos i saw venom in there too yeah and then there um, was um one of the one of the ladies was dressed as captain marvel so uh, the Bets on how badly the mouse is going to react to that match being on a show that they kind of co-sponsored or whatever. Because you know they had the eyes on it. I'm pretty sure that that was less of a fuck-up than Mulan was from start to finish, so (laughs) they might let it slide. Who do you think you are putting that kind of crap on a show we endorsed? I mean, this is... is, um... This is the same company that gave like a shout out to the um, Chinese propaganda ministry and filmed in a location with a much publicized um, genocide going on right now. So mm-hmm. that's, that's I true. don't think they care that much unless <laughs> there's an uproar. We didn't care until people noticed. Now put on your damn purity rings. Ha <laughs> ha. And on a more positive note, though, I did also watch Final <laughs> Resolution because it was $10 and it seemed like, hey, let's let's have a lark for $10. And I quite enjoyed the Rich Swan Chris Bay main event. I have not uh, I've not seen that, but I did purchase that actually on your recommendation because it was only $10. Yeah, because um, it, it looked like a pretty good car- card, and like the Perazzo Rosemary match was pretty good, and I uh-huh. also liked um, the TJP. I don't remember the other guy's name. The X Division. All, all the four main matches were pretty good, actually, and I thought I thought it was a fun show. And Tommy it's Dreamer only- got revenge for Eddie Bravo being murdered back. Well, <laughs> Eddie Bravo is still alive. Okay, you can't go wrong for like ten bucks. No, you and can't. That's that's on uh that's on like the fight. It's like the fight TV app. 
Or if you don't want to do that, you can get Impact Plus free, like on a free trial for a month, and watch it. And then if you want to keep Impact Plus, it's like seven ninety nine, I think. And it has all of, it has like it has their whole back catalog in there, like all the Impacts, Explosions, I think the pay per views, the weekly pay per views and stuff. And you can watch the TV. I don't think you can watch the TV live, but I think the TV like cycles in there pretty quick because last week's impact was on there already. That's pretty amazing. And if you don't want to, and if you don't want to do impact as an app, you can subscribe through fight and just use fight instead, but you won't be able to use like impact, like on the site or anything. You'll, you'll just do it through fight. Okay. So that's some good, good heads up for some stuff that's out there right now. But that's not the focus of the show tonight, is it, Brad? No, it's not. Uh, this is a little delayed because um, we had some illness to deal with last week. But uh, this is a couple weeks old now. Um, Pat Patterson passed away, I think, the same day that Sting debuted in AEW. Yes. I believe you're right, because it was that morning and Sting showed up in AEW that night. Yeah, so we were going to do, like, a retrospective on him, because I think a lot of people are familiar with him, like, as a stooge, or just as, like, um, just someone in the office or someone they randomly see on TV. I don't think most people that are wrestling fans have seen much of his in-ring career. And sadly, uh, I don't think a lot of his in-ring career, like, has survived on film. So we're gonna. We've do... run across we've run across a few people who have had the misfortune of, of not having some really good stuff um, committed to film. Uh, it's it, it's a shame to run across that. It really is. Thankfully, like the last ten years, people have found a lot of stuff. Because I know, like when when I first started getting to tape stuff in like the mid two thousands there's a lot more out there now than there used to be because people have done a good job of digging stuff up and, you know, either finding stuff, people have gotten online that have had stuff like it's just gone. It's gotten a lot better, but yeah, if you get past, if you get back into the seventies, it starts getting dicey. So, unfortunately, like, if you can get past about 1981, like, availability starts becoming good. But if you're, like, a guy whose heyday was the 70s, sadly, like, a lot of your stuff's gone. Yeah. So, what do we have for, um, for our, our Pat, our Pat Pat retrospective? I'll try not to do that too much. Well, we did, so we, we went with his probably, I, I would say, most famous match, which is the alley fight with sergeant slaughter in 1981 mm-hmm. and then we we also watched the kind of angle i think that kicked that off which was a cobra clutch challenge and then we picked up his north american title match with ted dibiase in 1979 and then just because the oddity of them being a well-publicized tag team and i hadn't really seen much of them we did pat patterson and Ray Stevens versus Billy Robinson and Frank Hill, uh, better known as Jules Strongbow. 
Ah, okay. All right. So, are we going to start off with the the slaughter story? Yeah, might as well since that's like the the main event, so to speak. All right. So, um, we we did the there was the Cobra Clutch challenge that started on this. Um, that had interestingly Patterson wasn't even the one that was supposed to be doing the challenge to start with. No, it was the Black Demon, which, if you watch wrestling um, in the 80s, the Black Demon tends to show up around here and there because you can just slap a mask on anyone and call them the Black <laughs> Demon and have them go lose a match. Yeah. It's kind of like it's Mr. Just... X or the Executioner. Like, they the get medic. around. So he actually bails out. Like, Slaughter goes to do the thing, and the demon bails. And so they're doing their little promo at ringside. And Slaughter just, he's like, he's a coward. Patterson's the one asking him about it. He's a coward. And he looks at Patterson and goes, like you are. And I'm like, well, that's that's an abrupt gear change. <laughs> Is there some context I'm missing there? Well, uh, based on the... Based on the... Based on the 1979 match, Pat Patterson was managed by the Grand Wizard, mm-hmm. and they obviously had a falling out at some point, and Patterson became a face. I don't remember what that is, but I know I've seen the angle <clears throat> before, and I know Ken Patera was like the wizard trying to get back at um, Patterson, so I'm thinking this is kind of like an extension of their rivalry, because if you're... If you if you watch WWF in the 70s and early 80s, like the heels are kind of superfluous. They kind of come and go. Like your your mainstay guys that are feuding with people are your Lou Albano, Great uh, Grand Wizard, and Freddie Blassie, and whatever rotating cast of characters they have at the time. Kind of a plug and play with the manager deal. Yeah, because like, because it's a face territory, so the heels are kind of, kind of how the 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 circle of life of the WWF worked is, you have your new heel come in, they beat guys on their way up, they you know do their program with the champion, which at this time period would be Backlund, they do their roundabout circuit for a couple months, doing their jobs to the champion, and then once that was done then they would go back down the card, lose to all those guys they beat on the way up, and then they'd be gone. And that'd probably be like a six-month process. And that was kind of like the circle of life of of the WWF. And get some good paydays while you're at it, too. Yeah. So so this was was the WWF. I believe so. I think they changed from being the WWWF in 1979. Well, the reason I ask is because for this Cobra Clutch challenge, uh, and actually a couple of the other matches that we saw, like th- it, it seemed the venue itself, like as I'm used to watching, and this is probably just because from what I saw on the network, or even before the network, back when they had like WWE 24/7 on like the cable channels, this was like for the pre-network days. They would always just show like, you know, here's a WWF at Madison Square Garden or uh, Toronto or 
you know, Boston. So it'd be like these big shows. Uh, so I haven't really seen, I guess, a lot of TV from that area, that, that time period. And the venue looked really small. This was and, their TV venue. I think it's like Poughkeepsie <clears throat> or something like that. I mean, it honestly seemed like it should be. I should be watching like, like Florida Championship Wrestling, something like really more smaller and intimate. It had that. It had that feel to me, which yeah. I, I was kind of thrown off, and I didn't dislike it at all because I actually, actually really felt it worked, especially uh, for this this angle that we were that we were, we watched. Uh, I felt it really. Like the, the the people really invested in it and, it and added like a ton to it. It was, was Allentown. Kinda... Allentown. Allentown. Okay. Yeah. So they, they kind of keep these smaller venues until they make the – when they rebrand in 86 to, um, to Superstars and Wrestling Challenge is when they upgrade the venues and kind of go bigger with the look and production mm-hmm. values and stuff. Until then, they, t- they tend to stick to Allentown for TV. Which is bigger? Which is bigger than like your average, I would say, TV venue at the time, but um, still smaller. I kind of, um, if the crowd is loud enough, then the size of it doesn't really bother me. And this crowd was pretty hot, um, so it was. You know, they were they were fired up and they were ready to go and, you know, you could hear them. So I was able to kind of kind of tune that part of it out myself. The thing that got me was like drove me to distraction over the course of this. And this is such a stupid small nitpick, but I couldn't help myself. Um, is how loose those ropes were. It's like anybody leans on them and you go like halfway down the post. And I was just like, wow, that that is driving me nuts. Yeah, you get some pretty rinky dink stuff. Because I mean, like when we get to it, when we get to the tag, I mean, they don't even have like really a ring apron on it. Sometimes you can get away with that, but <clears throat> it was a. Uh... Yeah, I don't know why, but that just that just stood out to me so much. Okay. Uh And Slaughter took this the Cobra Cut Clutch Challenge. He took that between territories. Like if you see his run in Mid-Atlantic around uh, I think it's right after this actually. He's doing the same thing. Mhm. So that's kind of his gimmick between areas. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he starts in Mid-Atlantic in 81, so he he must have gone straight from this to Mid-Atlantic. So th- this one is, um, so they, they set the challenge up. He locks it in. He and Patterson kind of struggle back and forth for a while. Patterson manages to break the hold up to the delight of the crowd. And then Slaughter essentially attacks him, beats him up. Locks the hold in again. You get the locker room clearing out, and some guy just like starts beating Slaughter with a chair to get him to break it up. Uh, mm-hmm. Patterson blades for it. Slaughter gets the hold back in again, and then the guy beats him with the chair some more. And you know, 
that is your TV angle. I <laughs> thought this was a pretty effective TV angle to set up like a rivalry. I thought this was an absolutely great angle. Oh yeah, I agree with that. It got the reason why, like it, it was perfect. It was, it was so simple. Whereas you know, Slaughter, the the guy who was who was going to do the challenge, bowed out. Patterson comes in there, so he's showing he's you know he's brave. He's got a fighting spirit, I guess. If you want to make it like a, <laughs> uh, a, a New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, he comes in there. He gets in the hold. He's almost breaking the hold, mm-hmm. and then once that happens, then Slaughter basically cheats and starts beating the shit out of him. And really just brutalizes him after that point, uh, to the point where guy, you know, guys have to come in and help out. But but Patterson, you know, he's trying to to fight it off. Almost broke the hold. It gets so much heat in that building. That's why I was kind of focusing on the size of the building because I really felt because it was a smaller venue, it wasn't like this huge arena. Like you could you could definitely see how hot people were and how invested they were. You could hear them. It was fantastic. It was so heated for something, a, a feud that basically didn't exist 10 minutes prior. Now it's like, whoa, I'm interested in this. Well, where are they going to go with this? These guys now seem like they hate each other. All because Pat Patterson almost broke Sarge's hold. Mm-hmm. It got, in my opinion, it got both guys over. It got the hold over because it showed it was a devastating hold, but it also got Pat Patterson over in that he was almost breaking it. And Sarge Slaughter wasn't going to let that happen. Yeah, um, it was fantastic. I actually, this is like a really beautiful old school angle that I. This is maybe unfair, but I don't feel like we would see a lot of this stuff in the WWFE. Uh, certainly not recently. I mean, you would see this stuff more, in my opinion. You would see it more in like the the southern promotions. You would see something like this. Like this could have been in like mid south. Mm-hmm. This angle. Yeah, and I felt it would it would have it would have worked. It would have gotten like the same amount of like super heat. I love that. That was a fantastic angle. Well, and it, I think what works though is because pe- like rosters weren't so static back in the day, so you might get your six months to a year of slaughter, so you don't have enough time for like the Cobra Clutch Challenge to get old, mm-hmm. or you know, for them to get little antsy and and jump the gun or have like someone that's like stale as hell like randy orton be the one to (laughs) to break it you know yep i also don't think the current wwe would have the patience to build it up enough like what chris master was doing the master lock challenge for only like a month before they started trying to basically have someone break it I mean, it, it, yeah, you've got to have you've got to have people struggle with it. But before we got to the point where I think Master started getting, you know, cheating so people wouldn't get out of it, as opposed to building it up. <clears throat> and you don't have to do it every show. You could do it every other show and keep building it without, as Brad said, the staleness setting in. But I also think you need a proven commodity. Like you need, like I think that's why it works. Though, is because like. Sergeant Slaughter might be new to the territory, but he's been a proven commodity in like places beforehand and people have been reading about him in the after mags and stuff. Mm, so that's true. So it's not like he's necessarily coming in fresh and new because like he has an act that he's worked on and perfected. Whereas I think 
like where I think where Chris Masters failed is it's a guy doing something completely different that no one knows and doesn't have like a track record. Well, and him being green didn't help. So yeah, because he got decent later. He did. <clears throat> he did. Um, but you know, it, it's just just for comparison's sake, it rushing it versus taking some time with it. <coughs> so there's a, there's a whole other like uh, discussion to have about just protecting moves and getting moves over. Because mm-hmm. I, I I don't think that's used a lot as much as it should be nowadays. There you do see some of it. Like they have kept. It, I'll use AEW as a good example. Like they have kept certain moves pretty strong. Like mm-hmm. the Kenny Omega with a one winged angel. Uh, to my knowledge, no one has kicked out of that. And I think it might be the same thing for Moxley's like paradigm shift. Like they just you're not kicking out. No, I, I think you're right. They've <laughs> they've really protected Moxley's paradigm shift. And those are five. <gasps> those are those are obviously like high impact moves, and you can definitely get those over as okay. No one's getting out of that. But uh, there is something to be said also about uh, a good submission move that it's like no one's getting out of this. No one's no one's gonna. Everyone's going to submit if they're put in this. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that there's too many people out there that have that. I can't I think think of anyone off the top of my head. But I think that they should, they should definitely, they should, someone should try and invest in doing that because I think it just, it does add to stuff. Because then eventually when the hold is broken, uh, which should be, in my opinion, like rare, then, then it does matter a lot more. I think the problem there is wrestling's too go, go, go now, and guys don't have the patience. And I think they've trained the crowds not to have the patience to, like, really kind of work towards a submission finish and have, like, that effective finisher because, like, the wrestlers get ADD and the the crowds get ADD and they want, like, moves and stuff now, and I don't think that'll work as well. I feel it's more the crowd has ADD. Yeah. Well, and they've been catered to. So they've yeah. been able to project their desires and get what they want instead of like how uh, you Les Thatcher would be a good guy to do it. The pick a body part, grind them down, and then lock in a submission and 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 kill them with. Is it Les? No, not Les Thatcher. Um, Timothy Thatcher. Timothy Thatcher. Golly, yeah. wow! I can see why I did that, but man, that's a big <clears throat> big gaff. Um, to do that. Like he he's someone who could do it and and revel in the fact that he's pissing the crowd off because it's not what they want to see, but you got to be aware that that's what you're doing and and not just let them get bored. Mm-hmm. Like I think um I think a good example of of that was when we watched that MLW show with Loki and Thatcher. I thought they did a really good job of like taking their time with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like they set up like the big spot where like he screwed up and key like took advantage of him. And that was like a game changer in the match. And, um, I suspect I, part of the, I'm sorry, Brad, go ahead. But, I, but I think like that's, I think that's, you take two guys that are vets that know, like that have experience and like, no, like have the, um, the confidence to think they can keep the, the crowd with their work. <coughs> Yeah, well, and um, 
it's I think the other piece that plays into it has more to do with the format that they're working under where in the TV match stuff all you ever have you know the TV matches are you've got this much time you got to get and you you know you got to get your signature spots in and that's what it is and that's what you got to do and it's like well you know they don't give you time to build that up it's like go out there do these things and and then you're done and it's like well yeah. that's not really what I do it's like then you're going back to the performance center for us to teach you how to do that it's like well it's not why you hired me but I don't yeah, think ease in a weird place with how they let their guys work because like I feel like they put a much bigger emphasis on ring work now but I also feel like the what the, their matches are samier than ever now mm-hmm. yeah the, the the style has very much reasserted itself yeah and um it's just a different style now like they've they've kind of like taken that indie foo thing to uh to the big stage i was one of the people back in the early 2000s that like obviously i knew how good austin was there's no question about that but i didn't really like the fact that Austin's style was being um copy pasted on everybody else because not everybody else had the cardio for go 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 <clears throat> Punch, 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 punch. Go over here. Punch, 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 punch. One move back up. Punch, punch. You know, not everybody can make that work. And they tried to carbon copy it to everybody. And now they're trying to take this and carbon copy it to everybody. The Austin thing was always dumb, too, because he literally was doing that because he was held together by bubble gum. (laughs) in dental floss at the time like that was he that that wasn't his preferred method of wrestling that was just like he was getting amazing money and he was trying to like prolong like like he had like two years left in him and he made to like drag himself kicking and screaming to about four years after that neck injury so yeah Mm -hmm. he adapted his style into something he could do into this high high speed cardio style which is great But again, that's not for everybody. And whenever you try and get everybody doing the same thing, it's boring as hell. Especially especially watching Patterson and this stuff. Like we saw three matches with Patterson and I would say they were all like his, his diversity and like adaptability to like the match styles is kind of quite remarkable because I don't think we quite saw the same guy between any of the matches. I would need to think about that. That's an angle I hadn't considered. I mean, he, I'd say I'd say his heel stuff was similar-ish, but like this match was different than the other two matches quite a bit. Yeah, that's that's true. So do we want to do we want to hit the so this this next match is probably his most famous match, and I would say for a law for a couple years at least it was the most well-regarded <laughs> WWF match ever, and this would be the alley fight with Sergeant Slaughter. I would say it's probably the most well-regarded match until Slaughter and Sheik had the the boot camp match in I think '83 or '84. Mm. So, um, this, so this is I think I believe this is MSG, and this is essentially the two of them just beating. Well, 
it's essentially Pat Patterson beating Sergeant Slaughter up and Slaughter taking some crazy ass bumps. <clears throat> yeah, he did. Because there was one he 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 took a bump over the top rope onto the cement floor with like no padding, like early on, and then he. He came off the top rope and pretty much landed on his feet like to nothing. And then he was doing like bumps like into the ring post, like over the top turnbuckle a couple of times. Like Slaughter was really bumping for this. He was selling really hard. What I liked about uh, this, though, is I, I really liked the ending, though, because I liked that it was a grudge match. And Slaughter kept wanting to go and his manager had to be like, no, like this is like we're done here. Like there's mm. nothing to gain from this. Mhm. I mean, sooner or later, you gotta you gotta cut it loose. Yeah, but, but I, I thought uh, that was a clever ending, and I thought that that really um, <coughs> I thought it was a good ending, and it made Patterson look like a really tough guy because you know he pretty much beat the guy until his manager couldn't take it anymore. But it also showed like Slaughter would have literally probably fought until he was dead. Yeah, and you had Slaughter, um, you had Slaughter bleed. He's like bleeding all over the place. Oh, he was bleeding. He was bleeding good too. Oh yeah. Which, which again, I was I I feel like at this point, uh, after years of ECW and even some other uh, promotions like CZW back in the day, like I'm a little desensitized to the violence and blood. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, but back in the day, I mean, for the time period, this must have been like insane. They used to stop blood for matches in WWF up until a couple years before this. This is still back in like the kayfabe days. So if you if you believed in 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 the reality of the wrestling, you would have probably thought like, oh my god, this guy's like getting murdered out there. Yeah, these guys are killing each other. And I'm pretty uh, sure Slaughter bladed in midair too. It was a really quick blade job. Slaughter is um. Slaughter's a really underrated worker, actually. I think because most most people probably only remember him from <clears throat> like the early '90s stuff, which or the late '80s AWA where he didn't give a crap. Yeah, and it's like he still. I would still argue there are periods where he wasn't bad there. It's just he he didn't really have to do too much. But uh, I mean, I'd be down to do like a retrospective of his some of his early '80s stuff because it was very good. The stuff I've seen is he was very good. Great talker able to get like a lot of heat uh good both as a face and as a heel uh we have i think we've maybe mentioned it before on the show but we haven't really explored it but there was a time period in the early 80s uh and then he he left the wwf uh mm -hmm. because of pay or whatever but there was a time period where he was like the number two number three at the late at the worst uh face like behind behind like hogan yeah. like he was he was so to put it in like modern day time, modern day like terms, like if uh, if Moxley is like the the main face in in AEW, then it's like then he's like Cody or you know Darby Allen. He's like he's right there. Like people were were into Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, I mean he was on GI <laughs> Joe. Like he was. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean all the kids knew who Sergeant Slaughter was. Mm -hmm. It would not surprise me if some folks were unhappy <laughs> about him being so popular it might have kind of been a threat to hogan in that way um just being so huge and already having that crossover you know i mean that's that's just massive mm -hmm. uh 
and I also like I also like and I know that this is another touch I don't think they do anymore because God forbid you not you not get those you might miss out on some merch sales if guys didn't wear their newest shirt out for the the match but I like that they were just in like street clothes and Pat Patterson obviously came out in like his like ass kicker cowboy boots like obviously like he has like he has the breaking case of ass kicking like case with those special <laughs> boots in it he's got a special box that he keeps in his closet and when things get serious he takes it down and he opens it and there's a light that comes out of it whenever you open the box <laughs> And he's got to he's got to he's got to shine him up real good to get the blood off the last person he <laughs> he beat. No, up. you just you just get him covered in the blood so that it dies at all the same color. <laughs> and I, I like though that he adjusted like he was kicking him differently because like he was kicking him in such a way where like oh he's like you know he he's not really kicking him but like oh he's kicking him in a way because he's trying to get him with the boots. I don't know. His kicks were killing me. Like he's doing these kicks in a way where it it to, I'm looking at him and I'm like his foot's going so far back and it's slowed down by the time it gets there that I'm that that kind of took me out. I didn't love that. Um, and and the crowd's just going bananas for this whole. Yeah, they are. They are. They are red hot for this. Uh, and that's actually one thing that I noticed and I really really liked. There was such what I would call like economy of movement. They, they, it was such an old school uh, like, way of working that you don't really see as much now. Because again, you might have a guy do like you know fifty dives in a match, but back then, especially in this match, you would have like Patterson maybe would just hit him with like one punch, but then Sarge would would you know go down or he'd react in a certain way. And the crowd would go like live like absolutely like insane with a reaction, mm-hmm. and it's like they would get so much off of just like one punch. Now, obviously, there was a lot more to this match than just like that, but I mean, they they would really get the most <laughs> out of everything they did. Uh, a stomp, <clears throat> a boot to the face, like this. It was all in like the selling and how they were presenting it, and the crowd like ate it up. You can still kind of do some of that, but. You gotta, you gotta kind of build to that point. I, I did it once just to see if I could. Is you know, I, I, I told the guy I was working with, and I can't remember who it is. I said, I want to see if we can get the crowd to pop off of one punch. It's like okay. And so what we did is we go out there and we do some stuff, and it's back and forth and back. <clears throat> and he rakes the eyes. He does the eye rake, so I stumble back. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's towards me, and I pop my head up, and I reached out and I grabbed him by the hair. And I pulled my fist way back, not like, like you know, we're going to Looney Tunes, but I pulled it way back, and I threw it. And when it hit, he like windmills his arms and stumbles across the ring, goes into the ropes, and he's like holding his face, and the crowd pops for it because we didn't, you know, we were just talking about the Austin like punch, 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 punch style. <clears throat> but what I what we were doing is just doing off that one was big enough that the crowd was like, look how hard he hit him. You you can do it, but the business is different now than it was at this point. So you can't do it all the time. That used to be like pretty regular spot, but that's not, um, you know, that's, that's not 
something that you can you can just go to easily all the time now. Yeah. And I would warn anyone that hasn't seen this and might be tempted to watch it because we're talking about it. Like you have to you have to view this through the lens of context because if you watch it now it's going to feel slow and not as violent as you would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. It it is context it is very context important. <laughs> You have to remember yeah. this match is almost 40 years old. Mm-hmm. So, um... And this one, this won the match of the year in 1981 in The Observer. Hmm. Okay. So, just as an FYI of... Of what, sure. uh, what this was. So do we want to head off to the next match, or do you guys have any more commentary on this one? I think I'm done with this one. Matt, you good? I'm good. Okay. So up next, this match is for the North American Heavyweight Championship, and this is Ted DiBiase versus Pat Patterson. This one is, I think, June 19th, 1979. So for a little, we'll go a little historical context before we get into this, so... Ted DiBiase came in in the winter build as the champion. So Patterson beats him, and then a couple months down the road, they kind of drop the North American Heavyweight Championship, and then they just say that Patterson won the Intercontinental Championship in, like, Rio de Janeiro. So they just kind of change it into the Intercontinental Championship down the road, Mm -hmm. or unify it, and I did do air quotations. <laughs> for that because it's a pretty crappy looking belt uh, i'm gonna be honest with you yeah it's it's not an impressive title um that that's that's the sad truth i'm I'm always sad whenever i see a title that doesn't look very impressive uh because it's like oh oh no this could be this could be oh because it just doesn't – a bad-looking title just doesn't carry the same kind of visual weight to it, you know? Yeah, I think they all kind of looked different shades of bad in, like, the 70s, though, from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's something they start figuring out until, like, the m- mid-80s. Uh, what did you think of – what did you guys think of Ted DiBiase with no facial hair? Um, <laughs> He looked very young. Mm-hmm. This is uh, clearly very uh, several years before his uh, million dollar man days. Yeah, he, he does, but it's you a, know it's still him, but it looks wrong. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> like fresh faced, baby faced, uh, baby face. Uh, Ted DiBiase is a little odd to me, just because uh, I personally am a huge fan of the million dollar man, that gimmick, that character, and he was so good at being a heel. And he was a great worker too, and that so it was a combination of like he really got the character, he had the promo skills to pull it off, and he was he could back it up in the ring. Uh, mm-hmm. So seeing him like years before that, doing a you know plucky baby baby face character, it's a uh, it's different. He's it's not twenty what I was five at this point, just FYI. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I think I I'd seen this match in the past because I I do like this match quite a bit. But what strikes me about this match is this match feels um, this match feels very modern. 
It doesn't feel like a 42-year-old match. It feels like something you, no. would, you could actually see on TV today. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. This is this is a really this is a really it's a really good match. I really enjoyed it. DiBiase puts his foot on the gas and never lets up. Mm-hmm. Like he's going and going and going, and Patterson's selling and begging off and 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 that like they they go this match is uh, at after it was over the thing i wrote in my notes is this is how you put someone over in a loss you don't go 50 50 on it and then it's like oh the other guy won it's like you have the dude who like if you're going to be over in a loss then you know you kick some ass and then that that's when the other guy sneaks it on you i completely agree um because if, if for those who, who want to watch this match, it's all these matches that we're talking about again are all on YouTube. Mm-hmm. This in controlled he controlled most of the match. Like mm-hmm. he was in control. Like I, I don't know what percentage, but I mean you're talking like 75, 80, 90 percent of the match. He controlled it. And yeah. He was the he was the baby face with all the fire. And Patterson's selling in this was just top notch. Like he is selling his ass off for DiBiase. And then yeah, he Patterson actually wins in the end. He sneaks one in, as you said. Um, but it made DiBiase look great. It looked like he, you know, he he was somebody. Like he he go in there, he could handle his own. He was controlling the match. He was, you know, basically beating the hell out of Patterson. It's just that Patterson is the KG veteran. And he's able to pull one off just by uh, you know, knowing a little more, being a little sneaky. But it made DiBiase look really, really good. It wasn't, it wasn't like what you see nowadays, where it's like, you know, let let me let me squash the new guy in three minute in a three minute match, and then we were confused as to why he doesn't get over. Or like, yeah, yeah. You do a fifty fifty match. The only person who gets over is the person who wins. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how, because they were evenly matched. But then that guy won. That's that's the only takeaway to it. But where DiBiase just, I mean, just goes to town on Patterson and Patterson snakes the win, you look at it and you're like, man, your, your takeaway is even, you know, your kayfabe takeaway is, man, Patterson just barely got out of there. The fact that he got out of there with the title is, is an injustice and you're upset about it and that sort of stuff. But it's and, – and DiBiase just – God, he had his working shoes on. The only he did the thing that bugs me is he hit the ropes on his ribs, and I guess that that was better when more places were using ropes regularly. But good lord, it makes me cringe when I see people do that. You know what's funny is um, this match and the tag match are like kind of a master class in how you job someone and still put them over mm-hmm. in in the, the long run. Yeah. Um, that's the problem with 50, 50 booking is that it doesn't work. It just, it doesn't, <clears throat> it doesn't actually accomplish anything because there's no 50, 50 to it. There's just whoever won, but they don't even come out all that far ahead in it. So it, you're not getting progression. <clears throat> this put them both over. Cause like, Matt said Patterson's wild enough to do it and DiBiase whooped him um it just 
This one really made me wish that there was more of like Patterson in his prime out there because I have to think that there's some real gems like this waiting to be found. I looked at it and I haven't watched much in the way of um, of DiBiase stuff that that was pre Million Dollar Man just a little bit, but He's I look at this and I'm like, ah, I want to see more here, yeah. If you if you just start um if you just get on the network and just start watching Mid South from the first episode they have and go forward <clears> like he's all, he's all over the place on there mm-hmm. having good matches and being like the number one or two face or heel at any given moment. Mm-hmm. I, I should dig that up. I remember hearing from his shoot interviews, the stories about him teaming with JYD and then we turned on him and that sort of stuff. But I, I just haven't sat down to watch it. Mid South is worth it. You get, you got to give it a little time because it's a little slow to start with, but once it starts rolling, it gets, um, it gets really good really quick. So do we want to, so our final match for the night is, um, this is from the AWA, actually AWA TV. Yeah, this is um, Patterson and Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens is also another guy we don't have like a ton of footage of in his prime, which is kind of sad. But this is um, this is them versus Frank Hill, and his tag partner comes out because I'm thinking they injured like who he was supposed to have as his partner. So he's so Frank Hill's out there alone, and then Billy Robinson comes walking out, and um, the crowd's just going crazy. They get in there, they, there's kind of like some chaos, the faces take uh, pinfall one, and uh, we go to a commercial break, obviously, by the way the video is working. Come back, we get more of a match here, and um, the heels kind of get a little heat, but not much. It's really just Billy Robinson just destroying everyone in the crowd, like... <laughs> Like, the crowd, like, pops big for, like, what are obviously, like, his signature moves. Like, anytime he obviously does something that's, like, one of his moves, the crowd gets into it big. And then, um, pretty much, Robinson gets, uh, is getting the best of them. And then, they got a DQ, didn't they? This is, uh, this is, like, a two out of three falls match. Because there yeah. was a really quick, quick early fall where, um, Robinson and Hill got a quick fall and then then it was a, a little bit more sustained segment for the second fall and yeah they, they did get a dq and then they pretty much they pretty much so then after this they they um patterson kind of like puts him up against the ropes and then ray stevens comes off the top rope and um does like the flying knee like into his stomach so patterson's hurt um they kind of keep at him a bit and then the locker room clears out and they kind of chase him off and they're kind of tending to to um i'm sorry they're kind of tending to billy robinson and then i really love this they just like charge back out real quick to get a couple of cheap shots on him and then run away the second they meet any sort of resistance and then they cut like a promo at the end I want to um, I want to point out something about their 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 big heat spot that you had described was 
not only is Patterson like holding him against the ropes, <clears throat> Patterson has has him in like the catapult position, like he's going to turn it into a Boston Crab and he's leaning back. So he's holding Robinson's throat against the bottom rope when that flying knee comes in. And uh, like on one hand, you're like, well, I mean, the knee would push him away from him. And that's but on the other hand, it just it looks rough and it looks mean and it you know is really effective but patterson did in this match what he did with the dibiase is i mean he he had his his flying shoes on he bumped and sold and it i mean it it really made this and i have to say because it's AWA announcing is usually just awful, but this is when Marty O'Neill was still working for the company. And man, he is a really good wrestling announcer. He did a good job. Um, he, he really did. But yeah, I, I, um, I thought this was fun. Like it really flew by. It wasn't like a super long match, but and again, it's a lot like the DiBiase one. This felt very um, modern. And um, yeah. Billy Robinson really does some cool stuff. Like some of his, like, um, when he was, like, working the arm and stuff, he's, like, moving and, twer- you know, like, torquing it. And, he, you know, he's doing, like, he's getting that hand, like, nice and ready to, to crank in. Um, the way he did the the Irish whip spots to work the arm is not something I've seen other like because he'd do an Irish whip he'd he'd go to like whip him in in the corner and then he'd stop and pivot and pull on the arm so whoever it was you know their feet would kick up in the air and they'd you know they they'd float and they'd kick and that sort of stuff before they hit the floor you know to to work the arm I love that I wish mm-hmm. I would have thought of that spot. <laughs> go ahead ahead, matt go ahead Uh, i was i was just gonna say like i know this was a this is part of our patterson uh retrospective but this match maybe we actually just want to watch more billy robinson (laughs) because he was so good in this and i mean i'm not i'm i'm slightly aware of billy robinson's work i haven't really seen a lot of it uh but i mean he does get a lot of uh he does get a lot of talk for being like a really great worker and none of it is not deserved, especially if you watch this. Because he had like, because like when he did like the, the like the the butterfly suplex, like the crowd was just like the crowd popped big for that. Oh, the crowd was there for that. Yeah. And he was um, he was probably like in his forties at this. I believe this so. Point, right? Yeah. Well, there's like a UWFI match with him and Bockwinkle from like 92. That's like a 10 minute match. And like, they're both old as dirt and still have like a pretty good match with each other. Mm-hmm. And there's supposedly, well, I know it exists. Isn't it happened, but I don't think it's on film anywhere, but there's from like 1980 Memphis in the mid South Coliseum, like Billy Robinson headlined a show against Luthez. <laughs> That would have been like fantastic. Billy Robinson, uh, legit shooter. Yeah, uh, actually, actually trained a lot of guys. Even trained mixed martial artists. Uh, 
I'm sure in just like shoot wrestling holds. Uh, people he trained was uh, Kaz Sakuraba, who is kind of like a in Japan has become you know somewhat legendary. Uh, Kaz actually also did some mixed martial arts stuff. He trained uh, James Maritato, otherwise known as uh, Nunzio. Hmm. Uh, who people don't realize that Nunzio, little Guido, like uh, he was actually a legit shooter. Like that guy could yeah. tune you up. I think wasn't he in um, <laughs> wasn't he in, like UWFI or one of those kind of shoot work promotion I'd to, promotions? I'd have to look him up to see, but he might have been. I'm pretty sure he was. Uh, Billy Robinson also allegedly, I think, he trained some some guys who have gone on to be like considered really. Uh, legendary British wrestlers like Marty Jones or uh, Johnny Saint. I think he had a hand in uh, training those guys too. Yeah, and you can really, I mean, it's its a short match, but like his talent really shines through yep. this whole thing. And I, and I know we, 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 he's kind of like, the, he's kind of like the whole like, the bright shiny gem and all of this, but I have to really say that um, it's actually really you get the whole gamut of healing from Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens in this. Like they sell really well, they pinball, they stooge, they cheat. Like they really, it really makes you want to see more of them to see like what just miserable pricks they were as as a tag team. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, they did a great job, and their promo was really good too. Yeah, where's Patterson from? Cause he has quite the accent. Is he from Canada? Mont- Montreal, yeah, he's I believe. French Canadian. Okay, yeah, he's he's Quebecois, I think. Yeah, that's what I thought. But um, yeah, like really, I felt this was a, I I kind of randomly selected this stuff, but I felt this like we got a diverse like look at his range of matches, like or what he could do. Mm-hmm. And he shows quite a versatility that I think um, I don't think a lot of wrestlers would have. Yeah, and he's got a. This is my biggest. Um, when I think of Pat Patterson, I actually spend more time there. He has he is labeled in my head more as the the agent who understood the psychology and was able to help put that into other people's matches. Um, not to, to short sell, you know, short sell him on, on what he can do. Cause obviously he could do, but that's, that's where he resides in my head. Like, you know, the guy that, that laid out the rumble and stuff like that in such a big way. Um, just speaking to how good of a grasp he had on wrestling psychology. Well, that's so. the other subject we wanted to cover before the end. So you wanted to talk about his, uh, how he, his booking and like, I guess what, what you would say, uh, planning of the Royal Rumble year in and year out. Yeah, um, there's, <clears throat> it's interesting because so many battle royals end up being um, like filler. Like, oh, we just got to throw everybody out there and this guy needs to win. Okay, but as it turns out, there are so many cases uh, the 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 Royal Rumble is laid out in such a way that it um, 
there's so many opportunities to build guys and stuff like that. And there's some tropes that came up for it that, that really kind of worked. Obviously you have the, um, the, you have, uh, you know, the, the, the big push, whoever's going to win, you've got someone in that slot, but you have other spots that, you know, build people up. You've got, you've got your ring clear spots. Someone hits the ring and clears out a bunch of people. And, Number one, it makes them good to clear out a bunch of people. And number two, it kind of thins things down so it's not too crowded to do stuff that's coming. Either, coming. Um, then, you know, you've got you got your fun little, like, save spots, which for the last, I don't know, ever how many years has basically been the Kofi Kingston spot. <clears throat> but, you know, your, your clever save spots, your monster of the night spot, you know, all of these things go towards making the guy doing the memorable even if they don't win in this big anywhere from 25 I guess to 30 man battle royal that happens and from what I understand this was this was like Patterson's brainchild this is this is like what he did right like this is the the rumble came from Pat Patterson's planning and that sort of stuff and i love all of those pieces and how you can build all of so many different people with all of this different stuff you know i just i absolutely love it and the fact that that's patterson's you know just I, it, it, to have have the grasp of not only coming up with that stuff but building everybody appropriately just god i just love you know that kind of of thought and care going into it It also, it's also, I think until maybe the last two, which haven't been good, it took them a really, I still don't think they've ruined that. That's one of the only things they haven't ruined yet, but it's interesting that that's the one gimmick they've managed to sort of protect over time. Yeah. Um, they've, they may, <laughs> they've, they've been able to not ruin it <clears throat> pretty well for a long time. I don't know when Patterson quit, uh, you know, he retired from backstage stuff. Do you have any idea? It says he was still doing some stuff until his death. Oh, wow. So, um, I don't know. I would, say, I would say he had cut way back the last couple years, though, because I don't think at his age you would have been. No, but... <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, and he also... Uh, I don't know exactly for how long, but, I mean, it seems like he was... Uh... He was fighting cancer for some time, so I think he definitely probably, as he was, the sicker he got, the more he was in treatment, he probably dialed it back quite a bit. Yeah. Who was the one, um, who was the one that Vince liked to fuck with? Was it him or was it, um, Gerald Briscoe? <laughs> I, I think he kind of, I think probably both. Uh, I think he maybe probably, uh, ribbed or goofed on briscoe a little more maybe because i was trying to remember do you have you guys heard the story i think it's back in the attitude <laughs> era where he was getting to, ready to go out and he was in the gorilla position and he went to fart on one of them and shit himself and had to go out like and do his whole thing and he like just shit his pants and then i just think he carry, came back carrying and, a load and, yeah. carrying a load in his britches 
Yeah. Wow. I'm trying. I'm trying. I think that might have been. That sounds like something he did to Briscoe. Hmm. I think. I, I think. No. Because I think Cornette was telling a story. That uh, no, I bet it was Briscoe because I think Cornette told a story about how um, if you went over to Vince's house, like you pretty much ended up in the pool because Vince thought it was hilarious to throw you in the pool. Ah. And he said that he didn't think it ever happened to Pat because Vince had too much like respect for him to do that to him. So it might not have been Patterson. Yeah. I remember in the Attitude Era, there was, I think it was against the Mean Street Posse, but I could be wrong. There was a match where Patterson and Briscoe were like, no, we'll take him. We'll go do it. <clears throat> and they they went out there and just whooped the fire out of them. And I th think Briscoe finished one of them with the figure four because he was going on about how he's beating Ric Flair. So he was kind of doing Flair shtick. But I don't remember what Patterson used to finish that <laughs> off. Do either of you guys remember that? Mm -hmm. Did you do an airplane spin? No, I think they both did submissions, like put them on the ground to do something. Maybe Patterson did it, Boston Crab. That would sound about right. This is that was like a SmackDown, wasn't it? Probably. Um, I'll see if I can find it real quick. Because I remember they came out to Real American, because that's also when they had. It happened around the time where like, Jericho was like motivational speaking with Howard Finkel and he'd run out to like the ultimate warrior music and mess with, um, was it Tony Chimmel that he'd mess with? <coughs> I don't remember that. I know they, uh, they made him do that stupid, uh, hardcore match, but, um, Patterson Briscoe versus Mean Street Posse. Hang on, let me let me look at this real quick because I, I don't want to. Yeah, they 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 whooped the Mean Street Posse, and I, I don't remember what they finished him with. And bugging me. Patterson did. was still around last year because he won the twenty four seven title last year. Oh, did he? He pinned. I think he pinned Drake Maverick while he was asleep or something. <laughs> I know he won it. I don't remember how, but I know he won it. Okay. <clears throat> I and remember. He lost it. Yeah, so he beat Maverick for it, and then he lost it to Gerald Briscoe off screen. Okay. I, I remember. Um, I, I I loved Drake Drake Maverick in the twenty four seven stuff. Truth be told, that guy cracks me up in just about anything he does. The I the. Just... Lethal Lottery tag match he did with with Bubba Ray and Impact, and he, him doing his goofy stuff cracked me up. I I also liked how he couldn't <laughs> consummate his marriage until he got the belt back. Mm -hmm. His wife was really I can't remember his wife's name, but I know she was she's like a trained wrestler, and she was like I can't believe they didn't give her a job based off of oh yeah that stuff. And they carried it over on their social media and had they had so much fun with it. Uh, her name is Renee Michelle. Uh huh. I think she was trained in stardom. Uh, maybe I'm not sure about that. Uh, 
I'm surprised they didn't sign her. Not be, not just because like she's pretty decent, but she is a she's a very attractive mm. young woman. Uh, and well, <laughs> I don't want to get us in trouble, but she's a. Uh, if you want to talk about measurements, she's uh, she's impressive. She's uh, <laughs> she's very she's very she's very lovely. But uh, it's their loss because she's uh, she's been popping up on Impact recently. So I don't know if she has a deal with them mm. or not. But uh, she's she's been showing up there. So if she has a gig there, that, that that's awesome. Uh, I think she's someone who is talented. So she should get more exposure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, my my favorite mm-hmm. thing with her was when they were sitting ringside at Raw, and like Truth just lays in front of them with the belt on his chest, and Maverick wants to pin him so bad, and he like goes for it, and she just like stares him down, and he just sits back down sheepishly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just um, she was really great in that. Like I I can't, like I said like I'm with you, Matt. Like I can't believe I can't believe she didn't get a job out of that. Yeah. Uh, she's also, I think, good friends in real life with uh, Zia Lee, who is with WWE um, Developmental. Although I don't think I've seen her pop up that much on NXT. Wasn't, wasn't she in MLW last year? Or is that a different... Mm, maybe. I'm not lady. as familiar with NEW, uh, MLW. Sorry. I know they, they had a really <laughs> ill um, ill fated attempt at a women's division last year. Yeah. Really ill fated. So I Oh I would say... hey, I found it. Yep. Patterson Briscoe versus Rodney and Pete Gast, May tenth, nineteen ninety nine. Briscoe with the figure four and Patterson Patterson with the Boston Crab. Okay, cool. <clears throat> So do we have anything else we want to add? Like, what did you guys, I guess, probably not having seen much of him as a worker, what did you guys think? Uh, I I don't feel like I've seen enough to be like, oh my god, like, one of the best of all time. But what I did see was he was, he was very talented. His selling was tremendous. And he was very, very good in the sense that he really, really understood what he needed to do to get a reaction from the crowd, both as a face and as a heel. So he was extraordinarily like versatile. And uh, if you had someone with that level of talent, there are, I mean, there obviously are those people, but someone with that kind of level of talent in the modern era would obviously be like a huge star. Uh, And it's no wonder that he, after his in-ring career, that he went on to basically being like a fantastic road agent uh, and putting together some of like, these fantastic finishes and, and laying out matches, not just like the Royal Rumble matches, but other matches. It's no wonder that he did because someone who, who understood how to work the crowd, get a reaction from the crowd that well, it's obvious, like it's very clear how he was able to, to go to another wrestler and be like, Hey, you know, do this, like, or add this, do the finish this way. Uh, and obviously like that, was all done to elicit a reaction from people and you know many times it worked so uh he was someone who i wish we had a lot more a lot more of especially in his prime because i feel we'd probably be really surprised i matt's right there's just just so much grasp and knowledge of what to do and 
and his selling was good, just building other people up. You know, his selling was so great for it, and the fact that, you know, he being such a good heel and feeding into people so well and making them look so good. Yeah, I love that. It's it's great. Um, I agree. I wish we saw more people who would be a heel that would, you know, take a beating, put the other person over, and then snake their win as opposed to folks who want to be the cool heel or the, the badass heel or something like that. Yeah, I would agree with that. He really, he really had his eye on the prize as a heel. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knew what his job was. Yep. So. Well, I think that's about it for this episode. Um, next week, join us. We're going to be talking <clears throat> some Andre the Giant with some clips of previous Andre matches we've watched. So, uh, <coughs> tune in next week. Yep. Well, and we would love to hear from you guys. Did we miss anything? Is there a Patterson match we should see? Please hit us up on social media. This is Shad here with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we will see you next time.